Finley's Thoughts is brought to you via Anchor.fm. You can find us here, you can listen to previous podcast episodes, but you can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and other places. Also, we want your opinion. Send us an email at finleysthoughts at gmail.com, or you can tweet us at, at finleysthoughts. I know he'd appreciate it. How do I know that? Because it's me. This is Finley, and you're listening to Finley's Thoughts. This is episode 19 of Finley's Thoughts, and this one is mostly personal. So I'm going to tell you that up front. It's also going to be a little different from the normal episode in that this is all one segment rather than three. Um, you'll see why as I get into it. I'm recording this June 20th, 2018. And tomorrow's kind of a big day for me. At least a big day in my life. Um, tomorrow's the 20th anniversary of an event that has kind of defined me. At least my adulthood. And it directly and indirectly affected the course of my life from that point afterwards. And so today is the 20th anniversary of the last normal day of my younger life. I was 19. Um, still living at home, going to college. I had just come off of two of the best semesters I'd ever had. And things were looking pretty good. But there was a lot of personal turmoil. And... It stemmed from family stuff. And that weekend, it was a Sunday, the 21st. The 20th was a Saturday. I remember what I did the nights of the 19th and the 20th. I'll remember them to this day. On the 19th of June, 1998, I went and saw the X-Files fight the future. The 20th, I went and saw the movie Can't Hard I mean, yeah, Can't Hardly Wait. Um, I remember that movie very specifically, and will always remember that movie. Because it was the last one I saw in theaters before the wreck. I was at home with my two brothers. And we were cleaning the house. Our parents had gone on a trip for the weekend to Gulf Shores, Alabama. We lived just outside of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, as I was growing up. And my teenage years were pretty good. I went to a good school, went to two different colleges, enjoyed my time both, had a couple of really good friends that I always talked to. And up until the point where my grandfather passed in 1996, our family life was pretty normal. Once he passed, my father was not the same. He struggled with it. He had found my grandfather, passed away in his chair. And my dad struggled with it a lot. And it led to some demons. Um, things that he has recovered from very well in some regards. Things he's owned up to. 
and then some other things that could have been better. Not the least of which is the affair. I told you this was a personal one. <sighs> My dad met the woman that would eventually become his second wife in 1996, late 96. In 97, they had started an affair. By 98, I knew about it, and my mother knew about it. The trip that they had gone on to Gulf Shores was to figure out whether or not they wanted to get a divorce. Now, I don't know what my mother's side of the story is. Didn't get a chance to ask her. I knew what my father's side was, that they had decided they would divorce. I don't, like I said, I don't know the, the full extent of it. I do know that the morning of the 21st, which was a Sunday, we were cleaning house, as I said, when the phone rang. It was mid-morning, about 10 o'clock or so. It was a friend of the family, Miss Bonnie. And she said, where is everyone? And I said, we're all here. You know, my sister is in New Orleans. She was going to school there. Stay there. Your parents have been in a wreck. We're coming to get you. They're at the hospital. This was the first time I became aware of my ability to uh, shut down emotionally and operate on autopilot, for lack of a better term, for as long as is necessary. I'd call it a skill set, but it's not quite what it is. Um, instead, it's something that kicked in, in any case. I told my brothers. We all had a moment to freak out. We stopped doing what we were doing. Miss Bonnie showed up with her sister, Mary Ann. They had been part of the group of people that were hanging around and were told to come get us. And so they did. And we drove to New Orleans, picked up my sister who was hysterical. At this point, we didn't know what the condition was of either parent. We knew that they were in a wreck. We knew that it was very serious. We knew that the bike had flipped. They rode a motorcycle on this trip. My father had gotten one. And the person in front of them had hit their brakes. My parents tried to hit theirs as well. Didn't get to slow down fast enough. My father tried to ground the bike and instead the back wheel flipped up, throwing them both. From witnesses, I know that my father crawled over to where my mother was. She was unresponsive on the ground. The car that had hit their brakes never looked back, didn't know what had happened. My mother was wearing a leather jacket, a leather jacket that I had owned for years before then. I had gotten it in grade school at the age of 13 as a uh, Christmas gift. That protected her body a little bit. The helmet protected her quite a bit as well. But she was heavily injured.
broken ribs, unconscious, comatose, it turns out. My father broke his shoulder, multiple injuries internally, including a brain injury. We're convinced of that to this day. The ride from the town I grew up in to Mobile is about four hours. During that period of time, I prepared for the worst. We got to the hospital and saw my father first because he was awake. And then we went to go see my mother laying on a slab. She was alive. She was not moving. My brothers were crying. My sister was in tears. They were leaning on my shoulders. I remember that very specifically. And I looked down at her. I mentioned that stoic nature. Now I tell you the next part of this so you understand why some of the details are foggy. I spent the next five days awake. Literally. I was awake for five days. I don't remember the last day and a half to two days of it, but I remember everything else of it. Or at least it's in my mind. Some of it's a little hazy. The first two days we spent at the hospital, waiting. A hospital administrator after that told us we couldn't stay there 24 hours a day. To be fair, we had legitimately around 30 people there. Mom was moved into a room. They performed surgeries on her. They had to remove part of one of her lungs that had been punctured by the uh, rib that had broken. Other injuries uh, were told to us. After two days, we were in a red roof inn and my grandparents, my grandmother and her husband, um, had come up that day. They couldn't get there any sooner. These were people in their late sixties at this point. And my grandfather, God love him, said, I am not having my grandchildren stay in a cheap hotel while they're stuck here. He put us in a Candlewood Suites, which is an extended stay hotel. He foot the bill. And that's where we stayed. On the third day, my best friend, um, I call him Beer Slinger online, and our friend Danny drove up. I did not have any clothes with me. I did not have any money with me. I was working as a student worker, getting through all of this. And I remember going to the Waffle House next door to the hotel. And I remember very clearly, calmly and coldly telling them the events that had happened. They loaned me some money. I say loan, they gave me money. They loaned me some clothes. 
And from what I've been told, Beerslinger and Danny turned to each other when they got back to their car, and they both said, holy shit. Is he going to be okay? I don't remember much after that for a few days. But once I got some sleep, I remember going to the hospital and sitting downstairs at the hospital where my mother was at. After a few days, my father was released and he mostly spent his time in bed. We had people coming in and out helping take care of us. Eventually, many of them had to go back home. There was no way around it. They had to go back, but people checked in on us. People kept in town who could. And one of those days was the day that I lost my faith. I was sitting downstairs and it was a relative. She was trying to comfort me. And she said, you know, God has a plan for all of us. And that was the moment. That was the moment. Because I said, what kind of God would do this? Make my mother go through all of the stuff with the affair and then have this happen to her. What kind of God would do that? To this day, I have issues with faith. I have issues with religion. And it stems from that moment. We had more people staying with us. We had uh, people taking care of us, family friends, old family friends, people that had helped take care of my father as a kid were now helping take care of us as we were coming through this. And the thing that I will always remember from this is that it brought the four of us kids closer, closer than we had ever been, because we were now fighting to keep our mother alive. We spent July 4th in Mobile. I went and saw the movie Armageddon with the daughter of a friend of my father. And <clears throat> it was in the next day or two after that, that we caravaned everyone home. By this point, uh, we had had our van there. So I drove the van back from Mobile to Louisiana and I was alone. Everybody else was in the other vehicles. My great uncle was there. Um, he cooked spaghetti for us the night we came home. I remember that. And I remember him helping take care of us too. Over the course of the three months that followed, we had some rough times. My father moved out, then moved back, 
and I left the house at that point to live with my grandmother. He moved back out after a month and stayed out at that point. He and his girlfriend moved in together. We didn't see much of them after that. And I didn't talk to my father for about three and a half years. My mother stayed in the coma and then had the unfortunate incident of being cut off of oxygen for 15 minutes one day. She survived, but it caused further brain damage. She has never recovered from that. She's awake, she's alert, but she was never the same person. In point of fact, I have had her eulogy written on one of my computers for about 15 years now. Ultimately, we had trouble dealing with it. I know that now. I'm an adult. I recognize the trauma for what it was, the emotional trauma. And I didn't let myself deal with it for about two months until one day we came home from New Orleans and my father was still there and I told him matter of fact that I was going to move out of the house and he and I had an argument and I went into my room and he came in there and he said I have not once seen you cry through all of this I have not once seen you deal with this emotionally and it all came out and it was cathartic it was truly cathartic to have that emotional reaction when you're young and you don't have the some would say benefit some would say curse of experience you don't realize how important it is to, to let those emotions out to give yourself that moment to breathe and to cry and to shake your fist in anger at the gods who allowed this to happen to you, whatever it may be, and allow yourself to feel the indignity of it all, to feel the pain of it all, to have the anger come out of you. That catharsis is healthy. It's necessary. And I had it at that moment. From there, things were tough. I ended up dropping out of college about a year later. I was helping take care of my mother as much as I could while also taking care of my brother who went to go live with my aunt for a little while there to finish school. My other brother, my uh, middle brother there, he went to school, moved in with a friend. I eventually moved out of the house as well. But by that point I had left school. I was stuck in a dead-end job. I had my friend Beerslinger and his father, who actually pulled me out of a, a, a real funk by telling me I needed to focus my life and pick myself back up. It's still one of the greatest things anyone's ever done for me.
Now, here's where things get a little tricky. Because I've told you about the rough stuff. Now let me tell you the positives that came out of this. My siblings and I are still fairly close. We, we keep in touch. I don't live in the same city as they do, but we see each other every year a few times. I see my brother all the time. Uh, every year we travel up to Wisconsin. I say all the time, but I see him consistently. My wife and I travel to Wisconsin and visit him and his wife. My father and I did eventually reconcile. It took three and a half years and a wreck, but it eventually did happen. But here's the thing that really came out of that, that I say was a positive. I had left school and was working a dead-end job when a friend of mine, who I had met um, at a gaming place, a computer gaming place, said, hey, they're hiring here in Austin for jobs at the company I work for. Do you want in? I said, yes. And he was somebody that I had written with on a website. And to this day, he's one of my best friends. I was at his house Father's Day, in fact. He brought me to Austin, which was rough at first. Making your way through things can be difficult. Um, that fall, Thanksgiving, in fact, of 2001, is when I had a wreck of my own. Somebody lost control of their wheel and hit me. Spun, total wreck, car was totaled. I wanted to make sure my father didn't hear about it through a third party, so I called him. He drove 500 miles to come get me, gave me a car to ride in for a while, helped me get back on my feet. And that led to a thawing and an eventual reconciliation. I talked to my father yesterday. We talk all the time now. And he and his now wife have been together for a long time. She helped him get through a few different things. It's not a perfect situation, and there are issues that I still have with her, but he and I are good. I point out one last part of this. As I mentioned, Meeting my friend got me to Austin, which got me to Oklahoma City eventually, which is where I met my wife. I didn't meet anybody sooner than that because I didn't allow myself to. You see, knowing what I know now about my life and about uh, psychological things that happen to a person, I know now that for a long time I blamed myself for the accident. And in my head, I had a reason why. The reason why was because the morning that they had gone, they asked me if I wanted to go with them. And I didn't feel like trying to deal with getting out of work. I was a student worker. I could have easily gotten out of work. And so I said, no, I'll just stay here. If I'd have said, yes, I'll go, 
I would have forced them to not take a motorcycle. They would have taken an RV instead. And there would have been an entirely different situation. And I don't know how the dominoes would have fallen after that. I know I don't think about that very often, though. I know I don't question it. And the reason I don't is because of something I told someone before when they talked about their life. And I said, I don't question how the events of my life have unfolded. Because they've gotten me to where I'm at right now. And the place that I'm at right now, at this moment, is the best place I can be. Is it the absolute best circumstance I could have ever had? I don't know. But in the absence of multidimensional capabilities, I have to assume that the person sitting here right now, talking into this microphone, is the best version of me that I can be. And I would not be who I am right now had I not said, I'm staying home. I don't know that I would have moved to Austin. I might have. Very possible. I may have had a degree. Maybe not. I don't know. I was kind of floating through college at that point. I may have stayed in Louisiana. I may have stayed alone. I don't know. I do know that I blamed myself and I felt a lot of guilt. But that once I dealt with that guilt, truly dealt with it, and realized it was not my fault, once I knew that and really convinced myself of it, that it was the truth, that it was really thing, the way things go, I was able to allow myself to be loved. And let's, let's not mince words here. You are not ready to love someone unless you're willing to be loved and love yourself. And that's a tricky place to be if you're blaming yourself for something that isn't your fault. And that's what really got me. That's what really held me back until I was ready. But once I was ready, I found the right person. I am 39 years old, going on 40 in a couple of months. It took me a long time in my life to get to the point where I was happy with the person that I was. It took me a long time to get to the point where I was able to be me instead of be on when I would talk to people. It took me a long time in my life to be willing to be happy. And I am. Because despite the events of June 21st, 1998, events that defined a good amount of my life, I don't let them define me now. Now, I let the events of my life now define me. Who am I now? I'm a happy husband. I'm the owner of a great dog. 
I'm the brother to two pretty decent people. Three, sorry. Two decent people and a decent, mostly other person. I'm kidding, of course. I get three siblings and I love them. I have nieces and nephews that I love. I have a dad that I've restored a relationship with. And a mother who, although she can't always remember me, when she knows who I am, she smiles. And she asks me how things are going. And I can't say that I'd have any of this if things had been different. And so I've been asked, would you change anything? Well, obviously, I would love to have my mother back. I would love to have my mom back. I'd give up a lot of things to have her back the way she was. The only issue is that that would change who I am right now. And who I am right now is the best me that I can be. That's a shitty way to put it. It's a shitty way to have to be. But it's the truth. In the absence of being able to change just one aspect of your life and not have it affect everything else, I have to take who I am. And I'm okay with that. This is why I I think have a lot of empathy towards a lot of things. Because I've been through some rough, rough times. I've been poor. As an adult, I've been poor. I've been to the point of not knowing if I was going to have enough money to last me through the week for food. I've been through the biggest challenges any young person can face the potential of losing both their parents and I got through it makes a whole lot of other things I deal with a lot easier and that's the biggest positive that's come out of this I learned how to deal with rough things it took me a long time And I wish that I would have had a little bit more of the option of therapy or something like that to deal with it when I was younger. But I've learned. I learned the hard way, but I learned. I wanted to record this episode because this is one of the few times in the last 10 or 12 years I've really talked about a lot of this stuff. But the main reason I wanted to record this is because I wanted to make it clear to myself, primarily, I'm no longer defined by those times. I'm not the same person that got that call. I'm not the same person who dealt with all of that. I'm a healthier person now. But I'll never forget that person that came out of it because I don't want to be that person again.
but I'm thankful that I did come out of it. Next episode's going to be a little lighter, by far. And we're going to talk about some good things. But I couldn't go through the next 24 hours without acknowledging the stuff that happened that got me to where I am today. With that being said, folks, this is Finley. Next time, it'll be a lighter episode of Finley's Thoughts. I'm out.